Striving and Thriving is the career development podcast inspiring you to make some bold changes. It's time to sweat the big stuff. Each week, we speak to industry figureheads at different stages of their journey to understand what it takes to successfully manage your career. I'm your host, Laura Johnson, and today I'm joined by Alex, fellow Marketing Academy alumni and senior marketing manager. Okay, Alex, to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about your career background and your current role? Sure. Essentially, I'm a brand and content focused marketer that spent a lot of time in the media and the entertainment industries for what I regard as zeitgeist defining brands. But actually, I can really characterize my career by chasing my passions. It all started with magazines for me. That was my obsession, my teenage years. And so I didn't really know what my career would look like, but I knew it had to start in magazines. And it did. It started in food magazines, firstly in editorial and then I moved into advertising, I eventually clocked that actually the place for me was marketing, which was a bit of a love child of the two, a combination of being creative and coming up with ideas and being able to write and bring things to life, but then also that commercial side where you could actually see results and you could actually apply some business thinking. So I I got to marketing in the end, it was a slightly roundabout road, but from magazines and, and food magazines at that, I sort of evolved into food TV, food and lifestyle TV at Foxtel, and then onto SBS to launch what was Australia's first food channel, Food Network, now SBS Food. And there was also a little stint in there at Maryvale, the hospitality company. So you can see a very strong food theme across that. That's definitely my big passion. But what was really, I guess, consistent about those marketing roles was being able to work with storytellers. So my internal content teams, but also executive producers and writers and chefs and help mold their ideas and their content into something really fantastic that audiences would love and work out the right way to shape it and brand it and package it all up so that audiences would really, really engage with it. And that gave me the opportunity to pull from insights and creativity and come up with culturally impactful ideas to really take this content to audiences. So that's really, I guess, how I would sort of summarize my career path without going through my CV point by point, which was boring. My current role is at Audible. It's actually not food related, which is a bit of a pivot for me. That's okay. I find other ways to satiate that love, like my food blog. And at Audible, I look after our content marketing and social media. So the focus for me is actually on our Audible originals, which is audio storytelling that's created to be listened. So rather than taking something that's been published in a book and turning it into audio, which is fantastic in itself, but we actually start with the audio experience. So that, that involves the script writing, the sound design, the narration, all of those elements are really carefully thought out to make sure it's an audio-first experience. So Netflix for your ears, if you like. And Audible is doing some incredible things in the space, uh, spanning any genre that you can imagine and even you know, creating our own genres. So in the last year, I've worked on projects with Eric Banner, for example. We launched a mystery crime podcast with him called The Orchard. We had an amazing series with Sarah Wilson where she really dove deep into the theme of anxiety and how you can turn it around and make it superpower. Just today, we announced a collaboration with Kate Blanchett, 
So she will be hosting Audible's first major original climate change podcast series, which will take listeners to the front edge of the most exciting initiatives addressing the climate crisis. So now is the time to be working in audio. It's having a resurgence, so much flex in the medium. And because we're quite a small and nimble team, again, I'm able to work really closely with our content creators, whether it's the writers, the hosts, the narrators, many of whom are coming in from film and screen and stage and work with them on packaging up these Audible originals into something fantastic that we can take to our members and to our prospects as well. And it's becoming a much bigger focus of the business globally. So a really exciting time to be working at Audible. That's awesome. There's so much there. I guess like the the big theme, I know that it obviously there's always the food theme, which is fantastic, but it's that there's so much around storytelling, but also just things that you're passionate about. Like the way you talk about it, it's just like you you genuinely care about it, which is incredible. Like, and that just comes through. And I guess so on that, like what's taking you from kind of role to role, what likes made you, because it sounds like every role you've had, you've taken because you're passionate about it. But I guess what's made you want to move from one to the other? Like what's the kind of learning journey been through? I mean, really, it was my appetite for a long time there. But actually, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It it really is passion. And I can still look back at every brand and organisation I've worked for and hand on heart say that I genuinely love it, adore it, and still talk in present tense like I still work there. And I, in fact, do not. That's a barometer for me. And I know that I'm giving myself the best chance of success. And I'm also offering the best that I have to offer to that organization if I'm really passionate about it. And what's actually defined a lot of those moves is colleagues or ex-bosses, you might call them sponsors, sort of tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, there's a role here. We think you would be good for it. What do you think? And so a lot of the time that's actually happened and that's been the uh, that's been the moment to move on. If it hasn't been that experience, it's been actually calling it myself and taking a career break, which is something I've done a couple of times through my career and I can't recommend enough. I'm a big advocate of carving out time and space in your life, really, (laughs) um, if you can, to, to go and travel. And I've done that quite a few times. And so it created a natural career break for me, then come back, refreshed and looked at new opportunities. That's awesome. I'm sure we'll talk about the traveling at some point I guess just between all those different jobs and it sounds like you've had some amazing sponsors along the way which is incredible what do you think has been the best career advice that you've received well this sounds self-serving and I did just speak to it but I actually think it's about carving out that time in your own life to take a step away from work to do the things that are meaningful for you and that will look and sound different to everybody to me that's always been traveling and I fortuitously did a big backpacking trip early in my 20s, like many Aussies, which kind of ignited that fire. And I've, I guess, tried to recreate that um, over the years several times. And that's been the most important thing I've done for me, for myself, my own personal growth. I dare say it's actually contributed to me professionally in terms of the global perspective I can bring, the cultural insights I can bring. In many of my roles, I work with people globally. I'm working with creators where cultural sensitivity and understanding is really important and nothing uh, gives you credibility in that space than being able to say you've been to someone's country, eating their food and eating their food part is quite relevant to me. So I guess no one ever said that to me and no one will ever say you should really quit your job now and go traveling. I say that to people all the time. I've actually not been shy to say that to various friends and some of them have taken that advice and never looked back. 
and it, you know, it may not be right for everybody. And, you know, that time away might maybe better spent for others with family or for other projects. But I do think that as important as career is and as important as our professions are, it's just as important to take a step away occasionally for our own, our own perspective and our own health. Totally. I couldn't agree more. And it's something that comes up more and more regularly that people talk about. So I guess on that, how do you maintain kind of work-life boundaries and make sure that you do carve out that time? Oh, that's the million dollar question. Um, (laughs) I don't know if anyone actually has the answer to that. Well, one thing that I, I did on recent Christmas holidays, took a few weeks off and I was adamant it would be a proper break. And I turned my work emails off my phone which is just one slide of a little button on the phone. So easy, but something I've almost never done before. And it is game changing because no matter how much I say to myself, don't look at work emails. If I can see that there's 30 new emails, I will look at them and then I will probably start actioning them and then you spiral. So actually making that distinction was a bit of a game changer. I have to admit they're back on now, (laughs) very much so. It is in a way part and parcel of working for a global company where things happen through the night that you have to keep an eye on or things are happening across social platforms, which never sleep. So it's it's a luxury that I can't always afford. But in theory, it's something I'd like to try and do a little bit more because just having that personal space and that distance from work is really important. And when it permeates every part of your life, it's impossible to have that delineation. Totally. I did the same over Christmas and Slack messages was my big one because he was like, it's not to me. It was always like, oh, it's not it's not an email. I'm not checking my emails. I'm just responding to like one sentence. But then it's consistent. So I took Slack off my phone. and I took emails off my phone. So then you can't even scroll because that's something like I'll sit down and watch TV and then I'll start scrolling. Now, why? Why? Just leave it. And that was good. And the same. Um, I've set no uh, change my phone. I think they told us to do something like this at Marketing Academy for a while, where essentially your phone puts itself on. Yeah, um, but also like the do not disturb. So automatically at eight o'clock, doesn't send you notifications anymore. And it's just like game over. (laughs) You are done. You can look again tomorrow, but not until like 7 a.m. or whatever. Yeah, that is the best advice. It's the notifications that get you. You see them and then you can't help yourself. I can't help myself. So that is the, that could be the answer. Right. There was something else you were going to say there that I was going to pick up on. It'll come back to me. But I actually do have a part B to answer that, which which probably is a little more, more realistic. And the one thing that is a game changer for me in helping me get that balance and being the best mood changer for me is running. That's basically what saved me in all the various lockdowns and everything that's been going on the opportunity to step outside, get some fresh air, new perspective. I'm fortunate to live right by the coast. So running along the coast just gives you the perspective of ocean. And, you know, it really somehow psychologically, your problems always seem smaller when you're running by the ocean. I don't know if there's actually some science behind that or if it's just my (laughs) own interpretation. But I know if I go for a run, I'm guaranteed to feel better and more settled and more positive when I get back. Like I just know it will absolutely happen. So for other people, it might be meditation or, you know, it might be a walk or a chocolate bar, but for me, it's running. So knowing that is a really helpful and encouraging tool. And throughout the lockdowns, you know, I might try and pop in a run at lunchtime 
or in winter when it would get dark early, I might run at you know four o'clock, come back and then continue on with my work day. But making that time for me would just pay off in spades afterwards. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's incredible that you know that. I wish I could share your sentiment. Whenever I go running, I just feel like I'm going to die. Um, <laughs> it's less than meditative. <laughs> so there's, yeah. you have to find your version of running. Maybe it's yoga. Yeah, no. Anything but running, I think. But yeah, no. <laughs> you mentioned sponsors and you've had some great sponsors throughout your career. Have you also had great mentors through your career that we could talk about? I have. I feel very fortunate when it comes to this area. Over the years, I've had more formal mentors, such as those that we were exposed to through the Marketing Academy, and they were incredible marketing leaders in the industry that you would normally be lucky to cite across the room at a work event back when work events were a thing. But I've also had more informal mentors, one-off coffee chats, or even on occasion, more regular coffee chats. And having access to mentors who are in your industry or even in peripheral industries, which can be just as valuable, is such an incredible way to get a fresh perspective on what you're doing, on your industry, on movements as a whole, and even to learn about slightly different industry. I'm still, at the very least, LinkedIn friends, but in some cases, you know, actual more um, substantial friends with, with a lot of people that have been my mentors. And on the flip side, I would say the same for people that I've mentored. I think that it's something that if you don't have mentors in your life, you should seek them out. There are there are programs like the trenches, which are amazing, but you don't even need one of those. I think that the concept of mentoring is quite topical at the moment, is quite top of mind. And I would be surprised if anybody wouldn't make time to have, if only a one-off virtual coffee um, with you. I'm a big advocate of mentoring and, and I love to mentor myself. That's awesome. I guess in terms of people that are going into a mentor session, how do you prep for a mentor session or what advice have you got around about making sure you get the most out of that session? As in if I'm the mentee? Yeah. So I would say initially do your research on on who it is that's mentoring you, just out of respect. It's, it's almost like a job interview. Don't, don't rock up if you don't know, you know what's going on with the company and, and what their latest movements are. So I'd say that's, that's sort of just a hygiene factor. You want to go in there and uh, expressing the fact that you're aware of what they're doing and, and what their achievements have been. And I'd also have a bit of an outline as to some questions and some areas that you want to touch on. Sometimes you build an instant rapport and can't stop talking and before you know it, the time's up and scheduled another catch-up. But, you know, sometimes maybe it doesn't flow that way. So you don't want to waste anyone's time. So I think that having a bit of an idea of what you want to get out of the session and, you know, potentially even sharing that in advance, but, you know, otherwise sharing it at the beginning, again, to just to maximize what you want to get out of it. And I also think it's helpful to start those sessions with a bit of an intro to kind of give context to, you know, who I am and why I'm on this call or in the room and what I'm looking to get out of it and what my objectives are, context is everything. Totally. That's really awesome advice. Thank you. I guess just another things, you've obviously had a pretty incredible career and you've done so much along the way. What do you think has been the key to your success along the way? Mm. It depends on how you define success. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to get too cerebral here, but I mean, success is often seen as a proxy for how other people view us so mm. there's status and title and salary and all of these are important and things that we are all generally working towards but they 
can be dangerous, I think, and playing the comparison game can be, can be unhelpful, I find. I think that my barometer for success is loving what I do and being proud of what I do and being able to talk for hours on end. Um, watch out, this podcast could, could well go for hours. That for me is self-fulfillment and feeling like I'm part of something greater. And feeling like that internally is my measurement of success in actual fact. That's what drives me. That's what gets me up in the morning. I would say all those other things are really nice and not mm-hmm. to be sneered at, but they're not necessarily the key criteria of what I look for in a role. I love that. I think it's a really beautiful summary and I totally agree with that. I guess you've been through a few different roles, a few different industries, like there's a whole ton of learning there. How do you stay on top of what's happening, not only in marketing, but also with the industries that you're working in? It really can be information overload. (laughs) You have to be quite selective these days about what you lean into because otherwise you could spend your entire life reading email updates. For me, when it comes to the marketing industry, I quite like reading daily updates from Umbrella and B&T. I really like the insights and the reporting that Tim Burrows, who started Umbrella, who, who now works under the moniker Unmade, I'm a big fan of his because he'll look at data, look at movements, but then actually distill them into what that really means for the industry and what is the actual story that underpins this data. He does the thinking that, quite frankly, I don't have time to do. So love Tim. I'm also a huge fan of Mark Ritson, the most controversial figure in marketing. He's extraordinarily smart and his delivery is brilliant and always funny. And he's not scared to say the things that we're often thinking, but don't want to say lest we look like we're not on board with the latest fad, whereas he will see right through the latest fad and say, this is bollocks or something else uh, equally offensive. They're the uh, the resources that are public. There's actually within Amazon, there's some really interesting, some really interesting sources of information, which aren't necessarily helpful to people outside of Amazon, but there's a something that... I love to read is an email group called That's Interesting. And anybody can email this email group, anyone from Amazon globally. So that is probably millions of people with anything that they find interesting. So I usually wake up every morning to at least two or three emails from this address from various colleagues around the world uh, reporting on, you know, sales that have just taken place. So this business has just bought that business, which might affect an Amazon business down the track. And I find that quite interesting. But I also love the idea of sharing things within the business. And I think that's something that anybody can take on board. The ability to share things that you've come across that might be interesting, that might be a learning, something that was drummed into us from the Marketing Academy days. And I think it's great to have that collaboration across your team, even if it's a global team. Totally. I love that. I love the idea behind that email, but also just the fact that it's global and it's just, it's up to you guys, right? You share as much or as little and you get involved as much as you love. It's a really nice way to share information. The other one's going to say to Mark Ritson, I think you're the third podcast in a row to bring up Mark Ritson. <laughs> and um, I'm with you. Like I love the guy. Um, mainly, And I don't agree with everything he says. I'm sure most people don't, but I just love that he has these strong opinions and he's absolutely fine with putting them out there. It's like you say, it's not about being popular or about following the latest trend. It's just to the point. Mm. And like, this is what's happening. He's so, great um, for a yeah. level set. Yeah. I, recall him, I recall him saying in a previous talk or something that, you know, marketers love 
shiny, shiny things, things that are new, different. Everyone wants a media first. Everyone wants a never been done. And so it's very easy for the snake oil equivalents of um, yeah. platforms and ideas and initiatives mm. to take off. And he'll call it and cut through and say, this is actually yeah. bullshit. Yeah. I think there was one, there was a talk that he did for TMA and it was around brand, but he was also went on a bit of a rant about like marketers, their own worst enemy. Like the reason that pricing got taken out of marketing is because we weren't good enough at it. And the reason this got taken out of marketing, and then now you have product marketers. And he was just like, and I think sometimes it's that reality check of just kind of like, we sometimes I think we focus really easily on specialisms or like you say, the new shiny thing. Like, oh, we'll just go see the new shiny thing. It's like, well, what are the foundations? Like, what are your foundational skills? And are you still doing them? And are they still great? And then you can go and worry about the new stuff. If you've not got the foundations, like just, just don't bother. Like it's not going to come good. And I think sometimes we do need to hear that because it really is easy to get swept up in the latest platform, the latest trend or whatever else. Yeah, good reality check. Yes. Excuse me while I just organize an NFT. <laughs> I really wish I understood all that. The amount of people I've heard recently have been like, oh, this week I made 50 grand on NFTs. I'm like, cool. I still don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't think anybody does, but it's new <laughs> and it's different. So rush out of my right. now. <laughs> going back to kind of career and everything you've done along the way what do you think that you know now that you wish you knew when you'd started out enlightening as a crystal ball would be I'm not sure that I would give myself that hypothetical power because I think that the meandering that I did at the beginning of my career was really beneficial for me having that time working in different parts of media trying writing and deciding that I love to write and it's a, a skill of mine, but I don't actually want to write all the time. And then working in ad sales and going, oh, I quite like the energy and working with partners and elevating these brands, but actually living and dying by sales targets, is, that bit's not quite for me. But actually writing and selling sales, is uh, marketing is a form of sales, really. You are selling something, if not directly, then indirectly. Those skill sets, you know, have served me well. And the time I spent working in food magazines was probably the greatest time of my life. And there was a point there where I was eating at Tetsuya's every few weeks for work. That was definitely a career highlight. So whilst, you know, I probably could have stepped into marketing sooner, if I'd known that marketing was my career, I probably would have studied marketing. I studied a communications degree, which is related, but probably didn't give me the basic business skills that might have been helpful. So maybe in hindsight, maybe the advice I would have given to myself was study a comms and business degree. If that is a combined, I don't even think that is a combined degree option, but betting in some business skills at an early stage might've been beneficial. But that aside, I actually like the career path that I've taken. It hasn't been the most direct route. It's definitely been the most fun. And it led me to working in London. It led me to my travels. It has given me a foundation in my love of food that has served me very well. So I wouldn't want to change things too much. I really wouldn't, even though I can now see, you know, more efficient paths to get to where I am. I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, I think, um, I don't think it's about being efficient. I think it's about being fun. And I think you're right. And I think that goes back to almost your definition of success as well, in terms of like, it's about passion and feeling fulfilled and having fun along the way. And yeah. I like that. It's a really good summary. You're the only person that's tackled that question that way. I like it a lot. I like to be different. It's awesome. Thank you so much for today. I really appreciate it. 
Want to know more about how to get ahead? Be sure to check out striving.io for career development tools and mentorships to guide you through. Striving and thriving. 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 Striving and thriving.